I'm Lottie Krog, and I want to welcome you to this service of the church this morning. God is great, God is good, and he's good. Every time we move, he's still better. So, honestly, church is not for, 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 for people. Church is the place to, where we get rejuvenated. And, and we see God through the words of the pastor and the words of the music. This past week, I went back to Omaha to check on my mom in her care facility. And on my way, I wanted to stop off and show you something. This used to be the Community Heights Alliance Church of Newton, Iowa. It's now the Cornerstone Bible Fellowship of Newton, Iowa. The Community Heights Alliance Church sold this property and built a new campus just uh, east of town. This is the place where I gave my first formal sermon on a Sunday evening service in the month of August, 1981, nearly four decades ago. My preaching has changed a little bit since then, given the tradition. Uh, the sermon was about 45 minutes long, and it was a rapid-fire series of arguments to defend Christianity, and my preaching, I think, has changed. At least, you're grateful that it's shorter. But my sermon was full of judgmentalism, all of the ways in which we needed to defend the faith against uh, growing secularism, all of the things that we should, right-thinking people should do, and right-thinking people should be, and right-thinking people should condemn. At the same time, I wonder if, as my preaching has matured, I've only replaced the objects of what is right-thinking and wrong-thinking. Am I just as intolerant as I was then, only now I'm intolerant for a different team? If that's the case, then I would suggest my theology and my preaching really hasn't matured. If all we do is take one set of rights and wrongs, good and evil, touchable and untouchables, and replace them with another set, but illustrate the same kind of hostility, we really have not advanced in our understanding of God's grace and God's love. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has just eloquently argued out that the Hebrew scripture laws no longer pertain that Christ came and made those laws unnecessary and engrafted the Gentile community onto the covenant of the Jewish people. But he is concerned that the Christian community will just come up with a new set of do's and don'ts, that they will just have more laws that supplant the Hebrew scripture laws. And so when he gets to the 8th verse of the 13th chapter, Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another. 
for those who love one another fulfill the law. You know the laws, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, and all of the other laws. All of these laws can be summarized in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and so love fulfills the law. If we find ourselves merely replacing one set of angers and hostilities with another set of angers and hostilities, then we miss the point of the gospel. Because as we grow, our capacity to love should grow right alongside it. And that maybe even includes loving your 21-year-old misguided self. It may include being able to love your current self. But more importantly, it recognizes that the gospel is not about rules and breaking rules and shunning rule breakers. The gospel is about embracing all, for all of us, then and now and in the future are going to need some grace. If I am allowed to live another 20, 30, 40 years, I'm fairly confident that some of the things I am now I may perceive as yet underdeveloped. Giving myself permission to recognize grace in all relationships is giving myself permission to forgive and receive God's forgiveness. So, before I ended up at that church in Newton, Iowa, and before I went to the University of Chicago, uh, I spent 17 years of my life right here, our home at 1326 South 35th Street. Except it's not our home anymore. After all the kids had left and my father had passed away, my mom stayed here just four and a half more years, and then she sold the house and moved. I'd love to be able to show you the backyard where we used to play kickball and the yard where we used to play basketball and the garage where I helped Charlie Wolf build a massive fire cracker that took a branch off a tree in a park not far from here. But they built an addition on the house. The backyard's completely different. The old elementary school has been torn down. Uh, junior high has had a huge addition, looks nothing like it used to. Even the high school, while it looks a lot like it used to, has been so remodeled, there's very little there that is familiar. Coming back home is not actually coming back home. It's coming to vague markers of memory and connection. In the 12th chapter of Exodus, the children of Israel are getting ready to leave what they knew as home. And what they knew was home was Egypt. And God wanted to give them some way to anchor that experience, to remember who they were even as they moved on. And so instead of giving them a sacred place, God gave them a shared meal. The verses in our Hebrew scripture lesson today are the verses about the beginnings of the very first Passover meal, a meal that would be celebrated year after year after year for thousands of years 
by the Jewish people. That meal brought them back to who they were, but not to where they were, because where we have been changes. The people we connect with change, but the anchoring of that annual Seder Passover meal changed very little and reminded and connected the people. And so each year, faithful Jewish families gather in a home and share the food and tell the story and remember the events that gave them their history and their identity. When I was talking to you from Newton, Iowa, I raised the question as to whether or not, as I had grown older, had I really changed? This rhythm of the Seder meal allows each faithful Jewish participant to ask that question. Another year has gone by. Have I changed? Have I grown? Anchored in the tradition, but liberated by the nourishment of the food. Do we use the coming year as an opportunity to become closer to all that God intended us to be? Or is it an occasion for stagnation. As we reflect on all of the places where God has taken us throughout all of the addresses of our lives, we often need to pause and ask, even though we are older, are we more mature? Are we deeper? Have we discovered even more our capacity to love one another and love beyond our beginnings into the future to which God calls us. I remember this house, but not this house. I remember this place, but not this place. I remember what my parents were trying to teach me to do and to be. And in that swirl of memories, there is a legacy that asks, am I using what I was given more effectively to show the love of God? It's fun to come back, but it is even more important to reflect and to resolve and to grow into what started here in 1960, me, into where I am to become in the days ahead. May God grant me, grant you, grant us all a capacity to grow into the love that God called us to share. Amen. When I came to Newton, Iowa in 1981, Newton, Iowa was the washing machine capital of the world. It was the hub, the center, of the Maytag Corporation. There was Maytag Park, there was Maytag Conference Hall, and every August the Maytag factory closed for one month and the entire town was on vacation. The Maytag Corporation employed one out of every five citizens of the community. 3,000 employees, 15,000 residents. In 2006, the Whirlpool Corporation bought Maytag 
and in 2007, they announced that in October of that year, Whirlpool no longer needed Newton, Iowa. It was, of course, devastating. The Maytag plant sat empty for the next 10 years, and only in the last few years has it begun to come to life with the fabrication of windmills for wind power companies. In our prayer time today, I want to talk about people who find themselves displaced. Part of industrialization and the efficiencies of the marketplace do result in the obsolescence not only of products, but from time to time, people themselves. It's easy to suggest that they merely move on and find something or somewhere else to be and to do. But we, in our Christian compassion, need to reach out as lives devastated, families challenged. We do not yet know what the outcome of these months of quarantine and social distance and shifting buying patterns are going to do to the labor force of our community, our region, our nation, the world. But we do know that God calls us to compassion and care and to act in ways that are constructive, but to pray in ways that build our choices and our connections to reach to those who find themselves displaced. Pray with me. God of changing times with changeless love, we pray for those who have found their worlds turned upside down by circumstances beyond their individual control. May they find stability in your grace and certainty in your love and peace that passes the understanding of the moment and grants to them refuge that they may find their way and stable footing again. Give to your people creativity, imagination, love, so that we may touch, heal, and incorporate those who have been forgotten. We may look not to them as excess, but as essential human beings created in your image to love, to work, to belong. Teach us, O Lord, how to find ways to include that no one be forgotten, as your own Son never forgets us and teaches us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.